Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, April 14th, we're studying 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. St. Peter's table of duties continues with instructions for wives and husbands to love and honor each other according to the Lord's will. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Gavin Mize. Pastor Mize serves at Augustana Evangelical Lutheran Church in Hickory, North Carolina. Pastor Mize, welcome back to Sharp Brian. Thank you. It's always great to be here. As we get started this morning, Pastor Mize, let's talk a little bit of context. We're in this table of duties. Peter is bringing it towards its end. We've got the subject of husbands and wives today. As you think about what Peter's been doing in this table of duties, what's the context we need to know? And, and how does one of the things you mentioned to me beforehand was the third use of the law is a big player here. What is the third use of the law? How does it factor into this section and the text we've got today? The third use of the law, the way that I often describe it, when teaching is it, 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 the sanctification is the opposite side of the coin of justification. You can't have the coin of sanctification without justification. And so the third use of the law is simply loving your neighbor. It's the, it's the last seven commandments on, uh, in, in the, the table of, of God's law, um, or I should say the 10 commandments in particular. Um, so the third use of the law, you know, of course we have, curb mirror and guide this is the and i think of i think of it like a uh like a path uh the curb is what keeps you on the path um the mirror shows you your sin and the guy is the one that walks you on the path and i want to make sure that i put that kind of passively kind of a passive active if that's even possible but passively uh the holy spirit works through us to do these good works um, but we do these good works because we love our neighbor and we love, of course, our, our wives. Um, and so, and in doing that, we're given a good conscience to do, to do all these things. And, and when we talk about Peter's table, um, of duties, there's no other way to look at it than, than the, the third use of the law that we are guided uh, I, I guess we can use that that tense guided um, in, in the way that we should go and in the way that we should go should always benefits uh, our neighbors. Um, and Lutherans, I think, in particular, do do well to have a a better grasp on the third use of the law um, and the way that it works and the way that we uh, because because a, a lot of our theology is passive. Um, Justification is passive. Sanctification is is passive. But the expression of that holiness that the Holy Spirit works through us uh, simply is for the benefit of others. Um, and so, while we are, while we we do gain a uh, a an appreciation for helping others, it's really for the benefit of others. Uh, and and of course, Peter's going to talk here about 
husbands and wives in particular. Right. Yeah. I mean, the third use of the law, this is, Peter has gotten done at the beginning of this chapter telling us how God has, in verse nine, he's called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He's made us a people. He's given us his mercy. And now we live as sojourners and exiles in this world. What does it look like to live as sojourners and exiles in this world? What does it mean to live in this light that God has given us? And, and I mean, some of the things that he said, I think, have, have been a bit surprising to us. Part of living in that marvelous light as a sojourner, sojourner or exile is to be subject to human authority, is for servants to be subject to their masters, even when their masters are mistreating them. And those are things that you and I would not have come up with on our own. You're talking about the, the guide of the third use of the law. One of the verses that I associate with this and when I teach it in the catechism is Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. How else would I know what those good works are that God has given me to do? Again, that that passive nature of that, that these are God's gifts to me. How do I know what they are to do them unless he shows me what they are? That's the third use of the law. That's what Peter's been doing here and will continue to do in this chapter as well. And I I think it's very... uh it's very neat how when God gave uh, Moses the, the the two tablets of the law, uh, and and Moses came down from the mountain, the very first thing that he saw was <laughs> the absolute breaking of the third use of the law. Um, you know, they they had, they had created uh, idols; they had been worshiping to the point to where. Moses, who was interceding for them on the mountain to God, was changed his entire tune and was like, "All right, you know, be, you, you can destroy them. I, I, I get it. I get it." But uh, you know, if, if that third use of the law—that's exactly what they were what they were missing because they were actively worshiping the golden calf. You know, they were actively. Um, you know, Moses had had left. The people to intercede for the people, um, which is also a third use of, of the law because he's loving his neighbor, uh, only to come down and find that they it, 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 they didn't have the third use of the law. They did not understand third use of the law to, to the extent that it was written on the tablets. But that doesn't mean that the law wasn't given to them as Israel. Um so, yeah, I mean, they knew that they should not have idols or gods before Yahweh. And yet, uh, as soon as the cat was away, um, they they started uh, breaking all kinds of laws, not just the third one, but all kinds of laws. That's right. I mean, and I think that that's a, a helpful reminder, because anytime we do start looking at the law, even as Christians, we will see the ways that we've broken it. And, and certainly the example of the golden calf there at the foot of Mount Sinai is a, a fantastic example from the scriptures of one of those moments where the people of Israel just completely break the law. That first commandment that they should have known. I mean, they even before they'd gotten to Mount Sinai, they'd seen who the Lord was. They'd seen what he'd done for them. Why would they worship someone, something else? Yet they do. And so that law accuses and so as, as Christians, we, you know, we live in that, that tension. And the, the thing I love about what Peter's done here in the text right before this, when he was talking particularly about servants and masters, and, and yet at, toward the end, he held up Christ, not only as example, 
but as Savior. And remember, we're just coming out of this beautiful passage from Peter where he he meditates on the sufferings of Christ, the endurance of Christ. And he concluded with this in 225, you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. As we as, as we as Christians engage with the law, seeking to live by the light that he is shining on us for this path, we know always the only way we stay on the path is as his forgiven children, the one the ones whom he has brought back into this path. We had been straying, but he has brought us back as our good shepherd, as our overseer. Absolutely. And one of the things that I wanted to add before we get into the text is as Christians— we are professionals at getting around the third use of the law. Uh, to, to, to circumvent the third use of the law, we, uh, we're very good at, <laughs> at trying to dodge it because it, it, it takes effort, uh, to, to love your neighbor. And it's much easier to, uh, I, I think that's probably the, the right term. It's much easier, um, to not only break, but ignore the third use of the law. Uh, to to where we, we it, 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 not only uh, is it not necessary for us to love our neighbor in that way, um, we can wash our hands and say, well, it's it's not my problem, it's uh, someone else's problem. Um, and I, for example, as a pastor, people who have to make the difficult choice of putting their family, family members in a assisted living or nursing home. It's very easy for a pastor to say, well, that, that, that's a family issue. Um, well, it is, but it's also very much a pastoral issue, uh, that, that you should help them in that, in, in that way. Um, and that's just kind of a different way of looking at what we're going to look at with husbands and wives. Families make difficult decisions all the time. In particular, uh, in matters of life and death for uh, a loved one, um, quote unquote, pulling the plug. I don't really like that term, but that's how people understand it. Whether or not they should uh, hand themselves over to, to God's care, which is very difficult for a family, but is also third use um, in in making that decision. Not to say if you don't hand them over you know, you're, you're breaking it, but in both, in both senses, they struggle with, with what is the the will of God. And if, and if pastors miss out on that, then they're missing. I mean, they're, they're singing against their people. I mean, when we talk about the third use of the law like this, I think it's, it's helpful to begin by asking the right questions in these cases. So with, with our text today, for the wife, the, the question is not how can I serve myself, but how can I be faithful according to God's word and serve my husband? And and then likewise for the husband, the question is not how can I get whatever I want, but how can I honor my wife? How can I give my life for her sake, as, as we'll see from the text? And similarly with these other questions when it comes to end of life issues, you know, the, the question should always be how do we uphold and support and sustain God's gift of life, that's not to say that the decisions that we make won't be difficult. They most certainly will be. But when we start by asking the right question, and we're asking that question of what would God have me do according to his word, then we're we're much more likely to end up in a God-pleasing place than if we're just asking selfish, self-justifying questions. And, and certainly, you know, 
if, if you've got these questions, go talk to your pastor. Let him, let him help you into the word of God and give you that pastoral counsel so that, so that you can you know, wrestle with these decisions and questions according to God's word rather than trying to do it in some sort of self-justifying way, which, I mean, that self-justification, that's what you're talking about. We, we're trying to dodge not just the third use of the law, but the law entirely and, and rather make it about us. And, and God calls us, no, engage with that law and then always do so knowing that you are a forgiven child. You, you have that gospel there as well. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that I think we're going to look at, uh, just, just to kind of add on to, to, to what you're saying, but I don't want, I don't want to forget this. Uh, while they weren't husband and wife, uh, it reminds me very much, our text reminds me very much, uh, and I should put this in, in my notes, of Monica and Augustine, um, how an upright and faithful woman uh, continuously prayed uh, and commend, command, commended and handed over her son, uh, Augustine, to the Lord, even in the midst of uh, him. Be, and this is one of the reasons I, th- I think he's uh, such a great example is because he was uh, he was one heck of a pagan uh, whenever he was growing up. Uh, I, I, I love the, the story of him stealing pears, even though he didn't like them. And that, that's like, that's so much like something that, that we would do. Um, and in particular, I mean, he was in, in every sense should not have been a priest. Uh, and perhaps in the, in the, the Lutheran church, I'll, I'll say beyond just the LCMS, but in the Lutheran church in particular, I don't think he would have made it as, made it as a clergy, um, because of his, uh, his life of reckless, uh, abandon and seed sowing. Uh, but his mom, of course, Monica was, she was faithful and continuously, well, we'll, we'll get into that, but she was faithful and continuously, uh, praying for him and, and, and handing him over. Uh, and eventually he found a great bishop uh, who Monica commend, commended uh, Augustine to. So we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. Sure. I mean, the, the thought of a, a Christian living faithfully in the midst of and in the face of a, a relative in that case, again, not husband and wife, but a relative who who is an outright pagan, does fit into this context. We saw it a little bit about, you know, in the previous text about what happens when you're a Christian and you're living under someone who has authority and there's an, un, an unjust treatment here. We've got a wife who's living with a husband and that husband is not yet a Christian similar context in that sense, not entirely parallel as we will see, but there is, there is that same thing about how does a Christian live with a non-Christian? Let's see the text. First Peter three being verse one. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious." For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, 
so that your prayers may not be hindered. That's our text for today, 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 7. Pastor Mize, just thinking about this text as a whole, this is one of those texts in the scriptures that is not well received by our world today. It speaks in ways that are contrary to the ways of the world. It is the word of God. We need to take it for what it is and not try to get around it, as you were saying, or dodge it in some way, but but listen to it, uphold it as good, believe it as good. I, I just, thinking through what Peter's been doing so far, I find it interesting that in the previous text, Peter addressed how servants live according to their masters, but he didn't mention how masters live according to their servants. Here, when he deals with the relationship of marriage, he talks about how wives live in relation to their husbands, but he also mentions how husbands are to live in relation to their wives, which shows that the reciprocity of this relationship and and when the wife has said, be subject to your own husband, it's not the same thing that he's been saying in terms of servants to their masters. So we want to understand this in its context, not trying to get around the word that is there, but also not misapplying the word that is there. Um, and one of, one of the big uh, things that you just read that is different for husbands and wives than it is for servants and masters is the heirs, uh, that the husband and wife are um, they're, right. they're heirs together in the, in the grace of, of life. Um, and, and that's, that's not the case for servants and, and masters. Uh, it is the case for for husbands and wives. Uh, likewise, like just just to highlight what, what you read. Likewise, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to uh, the the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you uh, of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And there's a couple of things that I want to point out as we go along in the Lutheran Study Bible. Because it's it's interesting some of the notes that they put in here that that are unlike many of the notes that I've read in the Lutheran Study Bible. Um, And like I said, let's start. I mean, let's go. Let's. That was kind of just a bit of an overview of the text as a whole. But let's let's go. You know, verse by verse, and and there are two sections here. We've got first Peter addressing wives as they live with their husbands, and then we've got Peter addressing husbands as they live with their wives. One, one more thing that I, I like to make note of when I do premarital counseling with couples, when, when you read passages like this as a husband or a wife, I think it's, it's very important that the husband reads the words that are written to him and seeks to do those things rather than the husband reading the words written to the wife and somehow forcing his wife to do those things. And, and likewise, for the, for the wife to read the words that are written to her and seek to do those things, rather than the wife reading the words written to the husband and somehow forcing him to do those things. It, it should be, not that, I mean, certainly we're going to look at all the words today, but take the words that are written to you, seek to live faithfully as a Christian yourself, and and not try to force the other person to be the person. Cause I think when we do that, we often end up projecting something upon that other person that maybe isn't actually in the text. Anyways, that's, that's just one, another overarching note that I, I find helpful as a pastor and, and as a husband personally. And it, it what you just said is very much summarized in um, v- verse one 
chapter three, verse one. So take us into that verse. Yeah, they they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives, and that's ex- that's exactly what you just uh, described. It's not that the wife beats the husband over the head, uh, or that that the that the husband beats the wife over the head with, um, with with, with what they with, with what they should do. We do it, and that's 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 the difference. Um, it's this is this is not a text. Likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. So the wives love the husbands in a Christian way, even if the husband is not a Christian but is a pagan, then he sees by his wife's conduct and is hopefully um uh it hopefully becomes repentant, conv- uh, convicted. Uh, that's, that's the word I was looking for. Become convicted of their own actions and come to faith. It's not that that the wife says, um, beats him over the head with, "This is this is what this text means." But rather, uh, Paul is is writing that this is what you should do as a Christian, uh, and your and your husband or spouse because it. It's, it does the opposite way in verse seven. Um, be a Christian, love your spouse as a Christian, and your spouse who may not be a Christian. This is not a everyone. Every husband is not a Christian. You know that that's not what this is saying. But that wives, in loving your husbands as a Christian, the uh, the husband will see what it means to live as a Christian and come to faith as co-heirs in the kingdom uh, of God, or as our text says, uh, grace of life, which I love that. I think, I think we should uh, in, uh, put that into some of our colleagues that, that we pray, uh, the grace of life, so that our prayers may not be hindered. Mm-hmm. I, ju- I just, I love that. So uh, wives, love your husbands in thought, word, and deed. And in thought, word, indeed, an unbelieving husband, not all unbelieving husbands, uh, shall see his his the the value of his wife that the Lord instills in her. I think that's probably maybe that's the best way to put it. The the the, the third use of the law, the love of the wife, um, and in that, it, the, the husband is not to say, all right. Uh, when I come home, I want slippers, pipe, and food. You know, that, that, that's not what the text is saying. And this is, again, eventually we're going to get to this. But some of the notes in the Lutheran study book make that point exactly, which is why it, it perked up my ears when, 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 I, when I read it. But it's, it's not about that. It's about uh, wives loving the husbands so that the husbands may come onto the path and be guided with the wife in that third use, um, but but a, but a husband who does not love his wife does not understand any of the law and is likely to break all of the law, um, the last seven commandments and therefore the first three commandments. Right, right. I'm, when it's, I think it, you know what Peter writes here to the wives is is eminently practical practical for their for their situation. We talked a little bit about the situation previously that you know when when he writes concerning subjects or servants and masters that 
there very likely are people in these Christian congregations where someone who is a servant is converted to Christianity through the preaching of the gospel, but the master isn't. Now, here, you've got a situation perhaps where the wife was converted, but the husband wasn't. And so the, the question arises in the mind of that Christian wife, no doubt, well, well, what now? Does, does this change my relationship to my husband? Or, or what does it mean for me to live as a Christian wife when my husband wasn't? Does it mean that, that I suddenly get to despise him or get to treat him differently? And, and Peter's answer is, no, <laughs> you don't get to do that. In fact, continue to be, and perhaps even more so, you know, see your respectful and pure conduct. Continue to love him even more so as a Christian now. And, and I love that, you know, the, with this, this purpose that as he sees that, that conduct of yours, and I think the way you put it is, is well taken, that he would be convicted by that pure conduct, such that there does become an opportunity to speak the word to him. You know, it does say they may be one without a word. At some point, you're going to have to teach him, say something about Jesus. Someone's going to have to say something about okay. Jesus, right? But but it is that, that conduct that I, I think that's a great way of putting it, convicts him such that he's ready to hear that word. Yeah, and uh, also at verse 7, that's why we see it when, when uh, he addresses husbands again. The the, uh, the assumption, I don't want to say the assumption, but the idea is that in verse 7 is that they are Christians, the Christian husbands. This is how you are to live with your Christian wives. Um, I, it's hard to say that that, that was what he was talking about in the first few verses. I don't. I think he's talking directly about Christian um, husbands in, in particular. But in in the wife's serving of the husband, and I think this is true for servants to their masters as well, in serving, uh, we understand Christ more in serving than we do as being the master uh, or as being the uh, the, the, the head, um, I don't want to say the head of the marriage, but more in the master, because I think that husbands, if, if we don't look at ourselves as, um, the head, then we're not going to understand Christ's, uh, resurrection and Christ's ascension and Christ sitting at the right hand of the father. Um, but also that servanthood that, that Christ came to serve, not to be served. The husband is to do that, but in particular, the more more of the uh, information, more of the uh, instruction is given to the wives to 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 love the husband. Um, and and I, we, I, it doesn't say it doesn't flesh out what why, but it gives to, uh, specific instructions to the wives um, to to love your husbands and to love your husbands in uh, in in every way, particularly in the faith of the heart, which is where we're going to come to adorning, uh, which is not what the world thinks of. It, it, it doesn't mean you better not, uh, you know, you better not dress this way or that way, but rather the faith of the heart is what, um, is truly what is attractive to Christian husbands. Um, I mean, that's just, that's just the reality of it. Yeah, let's let's pick that up more on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO, looking at 1 Peter chapter 3 with Pastor Gavin Mize. We'll be right back. Please stick around. 
Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233. 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, April 14th. We're studying 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-7 through 7 with Pastor Gavin Mize. He serves at Augustana Evangelical Lutheran Church in Hickory, North Carolina. Pastor Mize, prior to the break, we were looking at Peter's instruction to wives concerning adorning. In verse 3, he says, Do not let your adorning be external. He mentions the braiding of hair, putting on of gold jewelry, other clothing. Instead, he says, Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. That's where we left off. What is what is Peter saying? What is he not saying with this matter of adornment inward outward? Well, uh, that true true beauty is not found in uh, the lavish adornment, but wives and Christians in general. But he specifically talks about wives here um, that the adornment that is given is in faith and service. So in faith and service, we adorn our, our spouse, not necessarily in the way that we, um, in the way that we dress or, uh, alone, I should say alone, uh, not necessarily in the way that we, we dress and things like that, but that the, the lavish adornment is that of service and faith to our spouse and to, uh, Others again, thirties of the law, um, serving our our neighbors. So while he, while he uses here the braiding of hair and gold jewelry and the clothing you wear, um, it is more of that that of faith. These are examples of of external lavishing, uh, but that's not to say that you sh- cannot do that. Uh, but that it is more important to have the heart of faith and service to your spouse, uh, to your neighbor, etc. So, whereas many fun, I, I'll just use the term fundamentalist because that can kind of spread over all denominations. Um, while, while fundamentalists would say, "Well, you, that's it. You can't braid your hair. You can't wear gold jewelry." Um, by the way, silver's fine. You know, just not just not gold. Um, uh, and also, clothing that you wear. Uh, again, there's no there's no list of what clothing that you're not supposed to wear. Uh, so yeah, don't, don't wear clothing, don't wear gold jewelry and don't braid your hair. Uh, it's not a table of, of things, uh, not to do, but examples of, uh, uh, outside adornment rather than the heart being adorned. And I likened it to circumcision. Um, the circumcision outside of the body, of course, is how you would understand or you would be able to tell an Israelite from not an Israelite. But then also Christ says that uh, we are to have circumcised hearts, uh, that being on the, of course, on the inside and loving those who are, well, well, 
actually circumcised heart is more of a justification type language. Um, but also, and this is the issue with have, with using the term use of the law. Um, it's not merely a use, but in seeing our sin, we are able to love others. That would be second and third use. Um, but also, of course, first use that we would be curbed and stay on on the path. Um, in that way, we adorn ourselves in faith and service towards, in particular, our wives, um, but one another. With the the matter of you know, do not let your adorning be external, but let your adorning be this. I think just as a way of understanding the language there, and I think I can't remember the example that you brought out, but it's the same kind of thing. The one that comes to my mind is where Jesus says to I think it's the Pharisees. He says, "Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice." Well, that that doesn't mean that God didn't want sacrifice. He did want sacrifice, but he did not want the sacrifice without the mercy. So you might say something more like this. I desire mercy even as much and more so than I desire the sacrifice. And and so here it's a similar thing going on in terms, again, I'm saying in terms of the language, when he says, don't let your adorning be external, let it be this. It's not an outright condemnation of these things as if a woman who braids her hair or wears gold jewelry is somehow sinning. That's not the point. He's what he's doing is he's, he's saying, look at the true adornment, the adornment that matters. You can spend all your time on this, this sort of outward adornment, but if you don't have the inward adornment, then it doesn't matter. And, and his point here to these Christian wives is you do actually have this inward adornment. And I think, you know, I mean, that word that he uses with the, he calls it, it the imperishable beauty is, is the, I mean, that, that connects back to what he, it's that same word he actually used back in chapter one to describe our inheritance that is kept in heaven for us. In, in one verse four, you know, Peter says, we've been born again to an inheritance that is imperishable among other things. You know, he's, he's reminding these Christian women, these Christian wives, as they seek to live with their husbands as Christians, he, he calls them back to that initial, you know, that being born again, that life that God has given them. That's the real adornment that matters. This outward adornment, it's not that it's inherently sinful, but it will one day pass away. And if that's all you've got, then, well, that's all you've got. Dear Christian wives, you have so much more than that. You have this imperishable beauty. You know, treasure that. Uh, make that your real adornment. It, it, this is going to be kind of a stretch, but it's something that I noticed yesterday. Uh, this is a lot like Facebook. If it, 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 When you post something on Facebook, if you don't say all the things, then you're <laughs> going to get blasted for uh, for not saying all the things. And, uh, and here in this text, boy, if, if, if that was put on Facebook, he would be blasted like, because he didn't say all the things, but he said, he said some of the things, but if you're going to post this on Facebook, man, you, you better get ready for a, uh, for a, you know, six, seven hour battle of why you should not, why, why it's okay to braid your hair, um, 
but it's, it's kind of like what, what you were saying. Um, just because he didn't he didn't write all the stuff doesn't mean that that it, it's given over that these things are given over to to the law. The braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, uh, the clothing you wear. Uh, kind of like I, I joked about before. Um, if, I, if I were to put this on Facebook, it, I could easily see someone say, well, what about silver jewelry? Uh, what about pigtails? Uh, what, what about uh, dressing like a, a Moravian or, 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 or Amish? You know, so, so is that what I have to do? Well, no, that's, that's, not, that's not the point. Your uh, earthly beauty will pass away, uh, but and that's also what bothers me when someone pa- when someone does pass away and they say, "Don't they look beautiful?" And I, I don't I don't say I, I say this in teaching, but the answer is no. They've never looked worse um, because they they are they are they have passed away, um, but. We're not looking at the external person. We're looking at that faith of that person, because it, especially in in funerals, the law is right there. It's right in front of of their faces uh, that the wages of sin is death, um, but that Christ, who is faithful and just, um, forgives our sins. And if He forgives our sins, He is therefore given us life and salvation. And where life and salvation is, there, there you are with Christ, and therefore, um, in in that, let me let me look here at the at the text once again. Imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, in that in God's sight, which is very uh, precious and beautiful, that is what God is more interested in than um, your pigtails or your braids or. Uh, your gold jewelry or um and i don't even know what to do with white gold i don't know what 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 you would do i don't know what you would do with that but apparently i think i mean what you said earlier you know that ultimately the point of this text is not to tell you is not to tell the christian wife how to dress there there is wisdom in modesty for Christians. And I'll say that very broadly, not just Christian women, but Christian men as well. There's wisdom in modesty in in these things. This really isn't the text that's giving that full teaching. You know, if you want to, if you want to look at what the scriptures have to say about modesty, Proverbs is a great place to go. Or if you want to look at, at what do the scriptures say about how husbands and wives should, should find delight in each other in, in terms of physical appearance, the Song of Solomon would be a, a great place to look as well. The point of this text is not so much that. It, again, it's that, you know, it's not so much about this, but it's really about this real beauty, this imperishable beauty. And when it comes to to clothing, as I was reflecting on on this text and, and even just thinking about some of the things that Peter has been doing right around here, you know, he's been really, he, he was in Isaiah 53 at the end of chapter two. And we talked about this yesterday. When you think about Isaiah, well, at least when I, as a Lutheran, think about Isaiah 53, and I think about the hymnody that comes out of it, one of the hymns that comes out, and I think it plays into this, is the Paul Gerhardt hymn in Lutheran service book. It's number 438, A Lamb Goes Uncomplaining Forth. And the last stanza uses this language of of clothing and even the imagery of, of a marriage. So stanza four, 
hymn 438, a lamb goes uncomplaining forth. And Lutheran service book says this, Lord, when your glory I shall see and taste your kingdom's pleasure, your blood my royal robe shall be, my joy beyond all measure. When I appear before your throne, your righteousness shall be my crown. With these I need not hide me. And there in garments richly wrought, as your own bride shall we be brought to stand in joy beside you. I mean, again, does this have something to say about modesty? Perhaps, but it's not the main point. The main point is what is that, as, as Gerhardt says, you know, your royal robe, that crown that you wear, and these garments that have richly wrought, that's the garments that, that Christian wives and indeed all Christians wear, and, and that's what counts. That's the imperishable beauty that the Christian wife truly has. Yeah, right. By, ba- by basing these texts on, uh, or not these texts, that in particular with the braided hair, uh, the gold jewelry and what what they wear. Um, I mean, people would berate Christ Himself for washing robes in the blood of of, of the Lamb. You know, that's uh, that's <laughs> that's that's how kind of silly it is. Um, and when Peter writes this, uh, I think I said Paul before. I, I should, that's okay. Uh, I've done it before too. I misspoke. Yeah. Um, when when Peter writes this. Uh, he he does so at, not not and not to belabor the point. He, he does so as Christians who are wa- who are washed in the blood of the Lamb, uh, that our robes are made as white as snow. There's there's a I don't know if it's a famous picture, but it's a really interesting picture where painting where there's a, a man who has dirty robes, and you can see Christ behind him. Uh, putting robes on this man, these, these white robes, but you can't see Christ's face. He's behind the man, but all you can see are the hands in front putting on the robe and they have uh, the nail marks in them. And that reminds me of, of that because this man with dirty robes, maybe we could put this on, uh, on Twitter if, I, if, we, if we can find the picture. Um, he, he's, he's dressing this man with uh with with care for what he's wearing he's wearing the robes of righteousness um so again it's not it's not the law it's the um it, rush is a the doing of these things is not the law but the uh the imperishable beauty of gen- gentleness and a quiet spirit is third use of a law towards the spouse or towards a husband in this case. Right. And I mean, I mean, I think, you know, what he says there that that in God's sight is very precious. It, we talked a little bit about this yesterday. Uh, it, the, the service of a wife to her husband doesn't look all that glorious in the, in the sight of the world. And yet in God's sight, because it is done in faith, according to the imperishable beauty, which he has clothed her with, that is very precious because it comes from his word. She is doing it because she trusts in the salvation that he has won. It's just a fantastic thing to see how God regards these gifts that he gives us that in the sight of the world look like nothing. And yet in God's sight, they are very precious. We've got about 10 minutes here. So I want to make sure we, we keep moving as he uses Peter. Then he goes on. He's, he says, this is by the way, What's happened in the past? Holy women who hoped in God, they used to do this the same way. He brings up particular the example of Sarah. She obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You are her children if you do the same. Take, take us into what Peter does in bringing up Sarah as the example. 
Um, Sarah in particular was of, I don't know. I'm trying to think of the exact term, but I'm just going to say great age. Uh, I think that's probably, uh, probably better to say she, she aged like fine wine rather than fine milk. Um, and she, uh, in, in her great age, uh, they were subject to, to God's will eventually, I should say. Um, and in Abraham, in subjecting herself, I don't know, subjecting isn't the right word, being a subject to her husband, the great nation of Israel came out of that. And that's why we have that goofy song about Father Abraham. Um, but Sarah was the one who, who was having these, was having the, 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 the children, particularly uh, Isaac. And uh, in that, I think that we find the example of not a pagan husband, but a wife living in the faith and the husband living in the faith as heirs together. I, I said co-heirs before, but I think probably heirs together um, makes makes more sense. And to kind of go back to what you were saying, because I wanted to touch on this from the Lutheran studied uh, Bible, it and this is why I like this because it actually pulls no punches here at verse three seven or chapter three seven. Some feminist interpreters have taken offense at this expression. However, the apostles actually uh, chooses his wording uh, to express care, not disrespect for women. And I think that that is is important to bring out even here at Sarah. Um, feminist theologians would really not like this text and really not like Sarah and pull the old uh, context, historical context card, which once that happens, you just got to roll your eyes and walk away. Um, but, you know, that, that, that Sarah, she had all these children, uh, but not for, not for Abraham, but because she was empowered. It's like, well, there, there's, there's actually more empowerment in, God giving faith to Abraham and Sarah than there is in the express in the expression of of having have, having these children, but that God's will was done in having uh, that. And I, I love what Peter says here too. And you are her Sarah, you are her children, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. And this is kind of where. Lutheran study Bible uh, goes, has a little whoops. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Uh, it literally says that the weaker vessel is because women are smaller. I don't know about that, but, uh, but, but more um, that, that husbands are to be understanding and loving to their wives um, as they are servants to the husband and the husband uh, is a servant to the wives in understanding and in faith. Uh, just because it doesn't say subject yourself doesn't mean that we aren't to show honor. And showing honor is a way of serving. Um, for example, we Christians are called honorable and righteous and faithful, not because we say so, but because Christ says so because he was the servant to us, to all, 
and is now reigning at the right hand of the Father. And when God looks at us, he looks at us through the eyes of his crucified son. And by looking at the eyes of his crucified son, he sees that we are also servants, but also heirs in the kingdom of of heaven. It's simul justus et justus. <laughs> so so we, we are, we're justified as servants and we're, and we're justified as um as heirs in heaven. Now that's not to say that Picator doesn't matter, but um, it, it's that it's that both and it's that both sides of the coin, justification, sanctification, uh, and and separating the two sides of the coin doesn't help any doesn't help anything. The justified will do sanctified works, and the sanctified works will show the justification of the of the person. You've started to take, you've taken us into verse seven, which is great. We've got about five minutes here now. And, and, you know, you mentioned the term weaker vessel, which in our world today does sound uh, like, oh, how could, how could Peter have ever written that? How could you read that in church pastor? How could you, you believe that kind of thing? I wonder if there's, there's maybe something to that term weaker vessel that, you know, we, I think bears itself out when it comes to the sins that are committed in the relationship between husband and wife or man and woman, even prior to who is it that generally suffers the most difficult earthly consequences? It usually is it is the woman. When when a man and woman live together before marriage and then split apart, who is it that suffers the most? It tends to be the woman. When when there is uh, adultery committed and a child is is conceived, who carries the child? It is it is the woman. In so many ways, the woman is the one who would bear the brunt of the earthly suffering when it comes to these things. Thanks be to God, he gave us marriage to bind the husband to that woman to care for her. So that, I mean, I, I wonder if that's maybe part of what's going on here, that, that the husband, you know, recognizing that the woman is the weaker vessel, what do you do with that? Well, you serve her, right? When, whenever someone finds himself or herself in a position of power, our tendency as sinners is to abuse that and to make the other person serve us. Peter says the opposite here and, and echoes, you know, the words of Christ, which I think you've referenced already. Christ came not to be served, but to serve. And that is what he calls us to as Christians and particularly here, Christian husbands. And I know Peter only gives one verse here, but I, he really packs a lot into it. You know, I mean, live with your wives in an understanding way, show honor to her, which I, I think, I mean, it, it dovetails perfectly with the way that Paul talks about Husbands, love your wives. How? Like Christ loved the church. And how did Christ love the church? By giving himself up for her. And and Peter says, you know, as you've mentioned several times, why do you do this, Christian husband? Because she's an heir with you of the grace of life. And and then uh, this this quote, you know, so that your prayers may not be hindered. What a what a what an amazing thing that that the way that the husband treats his wife could actually have an effect on on his own Christian faith. So, I mean, a pretty strong warning here to the husband as well, even though it's it's only one verse. Pastor Mize, we got about three minutes here. Any further comments on that? And, and especially try to help us wrap things up and, and from this text, point us to the reality that's ours in Christ. One thing that I think that we end up doing because we live in this sinful world is we zero in and get triggered with the word weaker and completely forget about the word vessel. Well, what what is that? What is a vessel? We understand weakness, uh, perhaps not as the Lutheran study book notes go, but we understand 
that we understand weaker. We get it. And, and we could spend study upon study on the word weaker and completely ignore the, the word vessel, that which is to be filled and poured. And that is what the husband is to do is to fill the vessel, pour, uh, his, his faith and love into his, uh, into his wife. That's not to say that, that the, uh, that, that the woman is merely weak, but that the vessel, the vessel itself is fragile and we should, we should uh, approach it as such that we do not kick it over, but rather pour our, our love and faith, uh, into that spouse. And, and th- that's why I, I really like the term vessel there and not the weaker spouse or the weaker, um, why for the weaker sex, um, though there is a there is a a point to that, but rather vessel that which is to be filled up. And when we go into like you said, pointing us to Christ, that's true for husbands and wives because it's true for Christians, and because it's true for Christians, it's true for husbands and wives. Um, so again, you see that that both sides of the coin and Christ is the one who mints that coin and in minting that coin um, we find husbands and wives loving each other for the sake of Christ and not by the table of Peter's law that's not what Peter is laying down um, but in the doing in the action uh, in the in the in the uh, loving we we uh, are, I don't want to say fulfilling, but we are doing the third use of a law for hu- for wives and for husbands. And in that, we are kept on the path, guided, and when we are guided, we are guided to Christ. Pastor Gavin Mize is the pastor at Augustana Evangelical Lutheran Church in Hickory, North Carolina, helping us this morning with 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. Pastor Mize, thanks for being our guest today. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. share 2021 is coming up here on KFUO starting April 22nd and going through April 24th. We would love for you to partner with us here at KFUO to share Christ for you anytime, anywhere during share Again, that's April 22nd through 24th. Put it on your calendars. Make sure you listen during those days. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.